for welcome. It's lovely to be uh, back uh, here among you. Uh, shall we pray as we come to look at those verses? Uh, the Lord Jesus said that uh, if you love me, uh, you will obey my commands. And one of those commands, as we've been hearing, is to love one another. Uh, Lord Jesus, we know that it's much easier to say that we love you than it is to obey your commands. Um, so we pray this evening that as we look at these challenging words, uh, you would speak to us by your spirit, that you would show us how we might obey you perfectly, how we might love one another just as we have been loved by you. And we ask these things for Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, sometimes what uh, people see makes a bigger impact than what they hear. Sometimes what we see makes a bigger impact than what we hear. Uh, it's uh, been said that in the first century or so of the existence of the Christian church, the most powerful witness to the truth of the gospel uh, was not the preaching of the early church, as powerful as that was. What was really powerful was the witness of the impact that the gospel had on their lives. I was reading a fascinating book around this time last year called The Rise of Christianity by a man called Rodney Stark, who's a sociologist. I'm not actually sure whether he is a believer in the Lord Jesus or not, but it's a fascinating book all the same. And he makes this very strong argument. that The reason the early church, or one of the reasons at least, that the early church captured the Roman Empire was the quality of the love that the early Christians had for one another. It's said that when the uh, pagan world saw the, uh, the love of the, uh, the early church, they would just cry, see how these Christians love one another. It's amazing. They couldn't explain it. Uh, just to give one example from history of uh, how that worked itself out, out in uh, AD 252, the city of Carthage was hit by a plague, and everybody fled apart from the Christians. Uh, this small group of people stayed. They buried the bodies. They looked after those who were sick but who hadn't quite reached the point of death. They basically ran the city. And when the plague eventually went away and they came back, they reclaimed as having saved the city of Carthage. Their love for others uh, was obvious. Uh, well, if you've been uh, here over the last few weeks, you'll know that, uh, as Jonathan said, we've been going through a series in the first letter of John. And you'll know that uh, the way that John works is he tends to come back to themes again and again. Uh, lots of people have tried to work out how one John is structured. It's not like Paul, basically. Paul often is quite straightforward. You have uh, doctrine first, and then he applies it. Uh, John is not Paul, and it's worth saying that. Uh, the way that one John, I think, is structured is uh, around three tests, as it were, or three signs. He gives us three ways in which we can know that we are spiritually alive. There's what we might call the doctrinal test, so whether we uh, acknowledge that Jesus is really the Son of God and he's come in the flesh, and you were probably looking at that uh, last week uh, in the first part of chapter 4, the doctrinal test. Uh, there's the, the moral test. Do we, do we, do we live uh, for the knowledge that we're sinners? Do we live uh, for the Lord Jesus in the way that we should do? And lastly, there's what we might call the kind of social test or the love test. And it's that one that John is focusing on yet again. Uh, this evening. He's already been uh, a, a sort of, uh, focused on it, I think, at least twice before in the letter, but he's going to come back to it uh, this evening, and we're going to have a look at that uh, for us. Because he says that one sign that we are spiritually alive is that we will have a new heart and a new love for each other as Christians. Uh, John has already talked about this earlier on in the letter. 
Why is he returning to it yet again? Partly it's because it's important. We need to hear it because it's hard and it's easy not to uh, focus on loving one another. But it's also because he's got more to say about it. And in this particular section, what he's doing is he's trying to show us, I think, the connection between our love for one another and God's love for us. I think you could sum up this sermon by looking at uh, verse 19. Uh, This is really a summary of it. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first uh, loved us. But how does God's love help us to love one another? Um, Perhaps more to the point, what does it look like to really love one another in any event? Well, I think in these verses, John uh, gives us uh, the answer, and let's have a look and see what he says. Uh, Firstly, he gives us the pattern for Christian love, the pattern for Christian love, what it's supposed to look like. And he tells us that we see the pattern for Christian love in the cross of Jesus. The pattern for Christian love, the cross of Jesus. Uh, He starts, doesn't he, in verse 7 with uh, another encouragement to us. Dear friends, let us love one another. And immediately having done that, he tells us why love for one another is so important. And it's there, isn't it, in verse 7. He says it's important because love itself comes from God. Uh, God himself is love, we're told, verse 8. And so therefore, love must find its origin in him. Human love, in fact, is nothing less than a reflection of God in us. We are made in the image of God, and when we love, it is a reflection of being made in the image of a relational and a loving God. Now, if God is love, if he is love right to the very core of his being, then what John says next uh, flows directly from that, doesn't it? He says, verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God. Our love for others is in fact a mark of our knowing the love of God for ourselves. Uh, If you were to get my uh, two children, some of you will know my my two sons, Timothy and Jonathan, if you were to put them next to me, you would have no doubt that I am their father. They look like me. (laughs) Uh, There's a family resemblance that you can spot. We're like peas in a pod, as it were. And it's so often like that, isn't it? If you uh, put uh, children next to their parents, there's a family likeness. And John says, well, sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. <laughs> Might want to work that one out later on down there, I'll fix. Um, but, but, but what is true in the natural world, John says is true also in the spiritual world as well. We will look like our Heavenly Father if we are really his. I said, didn't I, that John, uh, one of the reasons that John is uh, writing this letter is to reassure people that they really are Christians. And he does that by these three tests. And he's really applying this, this third test, this social test, uh, here to, to, to us. Do we love like our Heavenly Father? Do we love like God? And he says that if we do, then we can be assured that we really have been born of God. The Bible often talks about being born again. That dramatic change that happens when the Spirit of God works on a person's heart and convinces them of the truth of their sin, their need of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We're born again. We get a new heart, a new spirit. And if we've had that, and we're loving one another, then we can be sure that we are Christians. By contrast, if we're not loving one another, 
then we might want to examine ourselves a little more closely to see whether we really are uh, born of God. Okay, if we're sure that we know God, then what? How do we know what love looks like? What are we aiming for? What's it supposed to, uh, to look like? How can we be sure that God really is love in any event, as John is telling us? And the answer to both of those questions, John says, is to look at the greatest demonstration of love that the world has ever seen, the cross of Jesus Christ. Because John tells us that the cross of Jesus Christ is both the proof of God's love for us, but it's also the pattern for our love for each other and for the world. Because it's in the cross that we see the love of God most fully displayed. John says, doesn't he, verse 9, wonderful words. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Uh, Well, somebody has said that the cross is a bit like a beautiful diamond. You have to hold it up and examine it from many different angles. It's got different facets. And you'll only see its true beauty when you do that. And I sense, I think that's what John does for us here. He invites us to consider the cross of Jesus from different angles so we can fully appreciate the love that it displays. So what does he say about it? Uh, Firstly, he invites us to consider the cause of the cross. Why did the cross happen at all? Why did it have to happen in the first place? And amazingly, John tells us that it happened not first 10 because we loved God, not because of anything on our part, but that he loved us. In other words, John is saying that the the reason for the cross actually lies with God. It happened because God took the initiative. He acted out of love. Love for me and love for you. It's breathtaking, isn't it? When we just stop and, and meditate on that truth that God would have love for us, that he would uh, care about us, even, even, even uh, you know, this, this, this little planet that we live on. It's even more amazing when we consider the flip side of that, that actually the cause of the cross wasn't just God's love, but it was actually because we had rejected uh, God and refused to live for him. In fact, the Bible tells us that rather than deserving God's love, really, we deserve his anger and his just wrath at our rejection of him. And yet, he loved us, and he sent his son to die for our sins. John shows us the cause of the cross. He goes on to show us the cost of the cross, and what a cost it was. It was the life of his one, God's one and only son. Verses 9, verse 10, he says, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Friends, this is love at a price, isn't it? The price of a human life. The price of the blood of Christ. Uh, John tells us he died as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And if you look down in your Bibles, you can see the footnotes that the NIV helpfully puts us there to to explain what that means. An atoning sacrifice uh, is really a sacrifice that averts God's wrath. It deals with God's just anger at human sin. And that is what the Lord Jesus' death accomplished for us. He died in our place. He died the death that we should have died. His death bore the wrath of God, the just punishment that we should have faced for sin, that we might be forgiven, 
or as John puts it here, that we might live through him. We might have real spiritual life, real life, not just some uh, half-empty life that we think we enjoy at the moment. This is love, says John. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And he loved us enough to send his son on a rescue mission to a rebel world to redeem us, to reconcile us back with him. This is love. No wonder John concludes. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's simple, isn't it, really? (laughs) If we've received a love like this, a love so amazing, so divine, as we sometimes sing, then there's no other way that we could possibly respond, is there? Except but to show that love to others likewise. Uh, I was reminded of a story, an old story this week, of an elderly farmer. Perhaps he lived in Norfolk. He lived on a a rural farm, country farm in Norfolk. He'd never been to London, but he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And for some reason, he went up to London one day, and he was very excited to go. Uh, And one of the uh, things he was going to tick off on his list was going to see one of the great uh, galleries, uh, one of the great art galleries. And he went in and uh, and, uh, walked around the gallery, feeling a little bit out of place, but enjoying himself immensely. Uh, And apparently it said that he saw a depiction of the crucifixion in the middle of this gallery. And suddenly he stopped and began weeping. Uh, One of the the, the curators came up to him and wanted to sort of ask what was wrong and wanted to to, to point out all the fine details of uh, of the painting. And all the man would say is, oh, how I love him. Oh, how I love him. And do you love him too? I don't know if it really happens, but who knows? But I wonder if you could say the same as that old farmer. Oh, how I love him. How I love him. Do you know this evening what it means to be loved like this? To be loved by a God who you have in fact ignored and disobeyed. Uh, someone has said that we are, uh, more, uh, we are more loved than we could ever possibly imagine. We're worse than we could ever possibly imagine as well, but we're more loved than we could ever possibly imagine. We've been loved by a God who has done everything possible to uh, bring us back to him, even to the point of sending his own son to die in our place. Oh, how I love him. Do you love him too? And if you can say yes to that, oh, how I love him, will you in turn show love to others? Uh, Will you love those who oppose you? those who reject you, those who curse you, those who ignore you? Will you lay down your rights? Will you stand on your pride? Will you love them sacrificially, even when they don't love you back? And it's really, really hard. Will you choose to bless people over cursing them? Someone once said that the Christian's only way of destroying his enemies is to love them into being his friends. The only way to destroy our enemies is to love them into being our friends. Maybe it's that person in church who has really hurt you deeply. And you know that really you ought to get right with them. But actually it's easier to nurse a grudge and sometimes it's more satisfying as well, isn't it? Maybe it's somebody who you know in the church family who actually is a particularly unlovable person. Maybe they're a bit of a gossip. Maybe they don't really take care of themselves very well. They're not a particularly pleasant character. And yet Christian love calls us to love one another just as Christ has loved us. Dear friends, says John, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another.
Well, that's the pattern for love that we're to follow, and it's seen in the cross of Christ. Uh, Encouragingly, though, John moves on, and he says that we also have a power for Christian love that comes from above, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is how Christian love works. Uh, I don't know how you feel as we were meditating on the love of the Lord Jesus displayed in the cross. If it's anything like me, it leaves you feeling pretty breathless, and frankly, uh, feeling, uh, well, uh, a little bit gobsmacked. Uh, It should leave us feeling somewhat inadequate, shouldn't it? And I think that really is God's intention. Because John tells us here that actually it's clear that whilst this is the love that we're to aspire to, it actually is a love that is impossible for us to achieve uh, by ourselves. We're not meant to do it in our own strength. It's impossible to love one another in the way that Christ loved us uh, by ourselves. And the reason is because we're supposed to fall back on what God has given us. And John tells us here that what God has given us is his Holy Spirit. Because his Holy Spirit is the means by which we love like God. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the inner witness, if you like, uh, that testifies that we are the children of God. And John tells us that, doesn't he, in verse 13. He says, we know that we live in him and he in us because he's given us of his Spirit. Elsewhere, the Bible talks about the Spirit as sort of the down payment, or the first fruits, uh, as it were. It's kind of our deposit, uh, showing that we really are belonging to God. Uh, The Spirit's at work in us, and we can be sure that we're Christians, because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And John tells us that actually the surest proof that we have the Spirit dwelling in us, and by consequence that we're children of God, is the fact that we're able to acknowledge that Jesus really is the Son of God. Uh, Verse 14, verse 15, John tells us about his testimony and the apostles' testimony. He says, we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, then God lives in him and he in God. By nature, the human heart cannot say that. Uh, By nature, we cannot say that Jesus is the Son of God because the human heart is blind and we cannot recognize him. You might remember those famous words of John uh, at the start of his gospel, at the start of his account of the life of the Lord Jesus. Uh, He tells us that Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Words we read at Christmas very often. That is the default setting of the human heart. We can't see who Jesus is. We can't recognize who he really is. Something has to happen. A miracle has to happen. And it's when the Holy Spirit enters a person's heart and removes the veil that then they can see who Jesus really is. And then we can say these words, can't we, with John. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, then God lives in him and he in God. If we can call Jesus Christ Lord, I recognize him as the Son of God here this evening, then we can be sure that his Holy Spirit is alive in us. It's one of the proofs that he has been at work in us because it couldn't happen any other way. We belong to God and he belongs to us. And alongside this work of enabling us to confess Christ or reassuring us that we really are God's children, John tells us that it's the Holy Spirit's work to change us and to rework our hearts to make us more like our Heavenly Father. So he goes on, doesn't he? Verse uh, 17. Uh, He says, Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. And in this way, love is made complete among us. 
uh, the Apostle Paul encouraged the Christians in Philippi that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And I think John is saying much the same thing here. At the moment, I guess if you're anything like me, you're all too aware of how much your love for the Lord and love for one another falls way short of what it should be. We, we don't love others in the same way that we love ourselves and still less in the same way that God has loved us. But we're works in progress. And that's the good news, isn't it? We're works in progress. Because the Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside our hearts. Uh, we're under new ownership, if you like, or new management. Sometimes uh, you see on a, on a shop, don't you, that's been taken over, they put up a sign saying, under new management. We're having a complete shop fit, as it were. We're being reworked. Uh, it's underway. And one day it will be completed. And when we look forward to that great day, as John uh, calls it here, the, the day of judgment, that day when the work will finally be completed, when the Lord Jesus will return to take us with him and to, to judge the world, we don't need to be afraid. We can have confidence, he tells us. Uh, we don't have any need to fear because we're perfectly loved. We know that. And God's perfect love is at work through his Holy Spirit, making us like him. And there's no fear in love. We don't need to fear punishment. If we know God, we know that the punishment has been dealt with. It was dealt once for all on a lonely cross outside Jerusalem. There's nothing left to pay. It's been done. It is finished. I like uh, J.B. Phillips' translation of this verse. J.B. Phillips uh, translated the New Testament some years ago now. and It's quite a vivid translation. He says this. He translated it this way. Love contains no fear. Indeed, fully developed love expels every particle of fear, for fear always contains some of the torture of feeling guilty. I think he's hit the nail on the head there. Uh, We don't need to fear. Uh, Every particle of fear has been expelled by the love of God, because we don't need to be tortured by feeling guilty. If we're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that we have been declared not guilty. We are acquitted. We are justified, as the New Testament puts it. And God's Holy Spirit is at work inside us, changing us, enabling us to reflect the love of God that we have received in our love for one another. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Uh, There was a former Archbishop of Canterbury called William Temple. He used to illustrate it a bit like this, and I find this very helpful. Uh, He used to say, it's no use giving uh, me or you a copy of Hamlet, say, or King Lear, and saying, go away, write something like this. You couldn't do it. Well, some of you might do, I don't know. I certainly couldn't do it anyway. Uh, It's not going to happen. Likewise, he used to say, it's useless to show us the life of the Lord Jesus or the commands of the New Testament and say, just go, go and do it. Go and put it into action. It isn't going to happen. We we can't do it. But, he said, if somehow the genius of Shakespeare from all those years ago could come and live inside us, then we might have a chance of writing Hamlet Part 2. And if the Holy Spirit of Jesus can live inside us and change us day by day, then we might have a chance of living in the way that he would like us to live. We could live lives like his. And that is John's encouragement to us here this evening, isn't it? He knows that by ourselves, loving one another in the way that Christ has loved us is impossible. It can't happen. We only have to look at the news and the world outside to know that it just doesn't happen by accident. But 
if the Holy Spirit is living inside us, then it's not only possible, but actually it becomes essential as well. And John tells us it's essential, doesn't he? Because he tells us in verse 20, if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, he's a liar. Pretty stark words, isn't it? He's a liar. And we know, actually, what John means by that. Because, actually, it's very easy, isn't it, to say very glibly, yes, I, I love God. It's very easy to stand here and sing uh, in, uh, with hearts abandoned our songs of praise and worship. But it's a lot harder to love one another. But John says that those who really love God will love not just with words, but with deeds as well. Whoever loves God, verse 21, must also love his brother. I don't know about you, but I think this passage cuts pretty close to the bone, doesn't it? Most of us, I guess, are aware of how easy it is to pride ourselves on perhaps our, our love for God, but actually not to love one another. Uh, most of us have probably experienced churches that are a bit like that. I've certainly been in churches which have prided themselves on how sound their Bible teaching was, but frankly, the quality of their fellowship was appalling. It was not a place which was remotely attractive uh, to, to be in. It's very easy to, uh, on one level, to say the right things, but then to be gossiping, to be uh, backbiting, to be running other Christians down, to, to frankly be lacking in love. It's very easy for churches to have a wonderful house group system. Uh, they can have all their members in a house group, and they're very content just to meet once a week, perhaps to say a prayer for one another, maybe look at a portion of scripture. But actually really caring and really loving for each other is really hard. Uh, the philosopher Schopenhauer used to say that um, human beings are a bit like porcupines. Uh, they huddle together for warmth, and they sort of prick each other, and, uh, and sort of spike each other, and they go, get, go away again, and they come back again, and they sort of prick it like that. And actually, if you've been part of a Christian church, you'll know that that's a very good description. It is hard when we come together. We rub up against each other, and we hurt one another. But if we've really understood the gospel, then we must love just as Christ has loved us. And actually, best of all, if we're really Christians, if we have the Holy Spirit inside us, then it's not just a, a pipe dream, then it's actually a reality. Whoever loves God, John says, must also love his brother. Uh, well, I'm told that as a young man, uh, Mahatma Gandhi spent some time exploring the claims of various religions, and one of those religions he explored was Christianity. Uh, and later on in life, he said this, or gave this as, as assessment of what he'd found he said, I liked Christ. I liked his teachings. I liked his person. But I didn't like Christians. Why? They were so unlike their Christ. They were so unlike their Christ. I don't know what he'd seen to lead him to, take, uh, to, 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 to lead to that judgment. Uh, but I think there's something there that should, uh, should strike a chord with us, shouldn't it? Uh, Jesus said, By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And John tells us it's that same Jesus who gave that command to us, who in turn, through his death and through his resurrection, provides us with the pattern for how we are to love. And by the gift of his spirit, gives us the power to love as well. Dear friends, let us love one another. Let's pray, shall we? Lord God, we are aware this is a challenging passage for all of us, I guess, this evening. Um, all of us know how easy it is to say glibly that we love you, and yet to deny that by the way we treat one another. 
Uh, we pray that even now in the stillness you would be putting things uh, in our minds, perhaps ways in which we haven't loved, uh, maybe ways in which we could love more, perhaps ways in which we uh, need to put things right. But we thank you that you don't shy away from giving us this hard teaching. We thank you most of all that you didn't shy away from the cross. Thank you that at the cross you made it possible for us to be forgiven, to have a fresh start. We thank you that you model for us what love looks like. And we do pray that by the power of your spirit you would be at work changing us uh, day by day, hour by hour, uh, to, to live for you and to love for you until that great day when you return to take us with you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.